the Bible reading tonight is from Hebrews 3, and it's the whole chapter. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what he would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So, as the Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion, during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for forty years they saw what I did, That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with them, was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, Good evening. My name is Ian, as you probably know, and thank you so much for uh, coming forward. I really appreciate that and appreciate that Shane uh, encouraged to do that. It hopefully doesn't surprise you that these words, Jesus greater than, has captured uh, much of our thinking and certainly the whole concept of greater than. And I want to get you back in that space because I hope you can remember uh, the last few weeks indeed about... uh, not drifting, as Shane said from chapter 2, taking seriously the warnings and encouragements that come. But as I think about The Greatest, uh, uh, of course, there's a recent movie, The Greatest Showman with Hugh Jackman. Anyone see that movie? Uh, some people tell me they keep watching it over and over again because they love it so much. I was surprised to read during the uh, week that uh, Billie Eilish now is considered an even greater singer than Tata. That caught me out. I thought, you know, well, uh, surely no one could ever conquer her because I'm so old I keep thinking about someone like Janis Joplin, but none of you would probably know dear Janis, uh, a rock and roller from another lifetime. Um, So, uh, and (laughs) boxing, sporting heroes, you can have lots of sporting heroes, but there was uh, a particular boxer called Muhammad Ali. Uh, He actually called himself the greatest. 
In fact, he was so good, he actually wrote a book too, authored by himself, The Greatest. Uh, and so you can, as you think about the greatest, uh, who is the great? you can jump into all sorts of places. You know, the greatest band ever. There's even the greatest rock song ever, for those who might know that. Uh, what's about the greatest Olympic moment? For me, I still think of that Stephen Bradbury moment on the ice. It just is one of those iconic... I've probably watched it, I don't know, 50 times. <laughs> it's just... Can you believe what happened as he won that gold medal? I can't. Unbelievable. Uh, greatest movie of all time. You know, uh, records indicate it's a movie that you've none, none of you probably heard about it called Citizen Kane, but others think The Godfather uh, is the best movie of all time. Others might jump to other places. And one of the issues when you think about great things is you often have your mind made up about who or what you think is the greatest. And you start to engage in conversation with someone and all of a sudden you see quickly that they're all on the same page with you. And they think you're insane for thinking, how could that be the greatest? And you're trying to win them over and win the argument. They're just thinking, that's not good. This one's good. And you find your emotions can get quite heated. Some people might think The Notebook is an awesome movie. <laughs> but it doesn't compare to that other romantic movie called 300, which we all know is unbelievable. Um, you know, and we could start the debate, which it wouldn't have to take long, because we all know the truth about which was the best Star Wars movie ever. And we all know it was number one, or really number four. Um, the rest sort of didn't fit into it. They're laughing already. So there's no debate about that, because they're already agreeing straight away. All those others, it's like, you know, or you can debate about Twilight or Lord of the... And we have this, oh, what's the greatest, the greatest thing? And you've got to get into that mindset, especially as we jump in to Hebrews 3. Because the writer to Hebrews has not left this thinking about the greatest. So let me pray, Heavenly Father. I pray that my voice holds out for the night. And I pray, Father, that we have ears to hear and we listen well, which Julianne has already prayed. Father, may we take what the writer said to them and speak to us today. May we take it seriously so that the generation that follows us can also know your love and your grace. In Jesus' name, Amen. And so we have this series, Jesus Greater Than. And uh, as we think about that, we've already heard about he's greater than the prophets, greater than angels, uh, the greatest that has ever been, the great one that God has sent into this world, greater than all things. But if you decided to put yourself in the shoes of the Jewish nation way back, you might have a little sense of understanding about it, why the writer felt it was important to speak about someone called Moses. Because in history, Moses... Outstanding. And so he's going to have to argue in such a way that those listening to this story up front and the facts will get a sense of, okay, I might have thought prophets in the past were good, I might have thought angels were good, but Moses, wow, surely there can be no one greater than Moses, and they'd be wrong. And so the writer wants to think about that, but just have a sense of understanding. Moses, divinely chosen for an epic task from birth, to being in a royal household. Moses became the deliverer of people, hundreds of thousands of people, through an unparalleled display of power. He was the one who was going to part the Red Sea, Exodus 7 to 12. Moses served as the most amazing prophet of all time. Why? Because he communicated with God face to face. Read from Numbers 12. He said, listen to my words, when there is a prophet among you, I will reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. 
with him. I speak face to face. So this, you've got to understand, to those, this is a profound figure. Moses was the lawgiver. And in the minds of the Jewish nation, the greatest thing ever was the law. There could be nothing better than the law. Uh, and their religion, in everything about it, Moses' name, it all came from the law of Moses. And finally, if you have to think about it, of course, what an amazing historian Moses was. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. So you've got to understand, when someone's talking about someone's better than this guy, it's a bit of a challenge to top all the things that Moses has done. Moses, the great apostle, the great high priest, the one who spoke to God face to face. Um, And just to cap it off right at the end of Deuteronomy, you read this. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. And if you need to also remember, he didn't actually make it to the promised land either. And yet this figure, this mo- is profound. And they knew that, and so as he writes in chapter 3, he wants them to get in that space. Now, to help us also get into that emotionally charged moment, Please just watch this clip from days gone by. The Lord of hosts will do battle for us. Behold his mighty hand. the waters his will be done. He opens the waters before them and he bars our way with fire. Let us go from this place. Men cannot fight against a God. Better to die in battle with a God than live in shame. Praise God and down into it! Thank you, Ruth. Uh, I mean, I know, you know, back in the day. Don't you just love the graphics? Don't you love how they did it back then? So magical, you know, probably the movie started with colour by Technicolor or something. Uh, and there's young Yul Brenner. And there's Charlton. And so in terms of any actor you're going to get to play that most historic figure, Charlton with his arms out wide and his voice, uh, pretty profound. But it gives you hopefully some sense of in the culture and the person, there was no one greater, no one more important, no one more significant than the one who could do that, and per, let alone the plagues of the Pharaoh, let alone the Red Sea, let alone did all those things. And so seeing how the Jewish nation so highly regarded Moses, the writer wants us to help us to understand the importance of Christ. Yes, Moses was a faithful servant, but still only a servant. Jesus, also faithful, but a son. And a son is far more profound than a servant, is his point. 
Is it possible that Jesus is truly greater than anyone else and anything else? And this writer believes it. And that's our argument now, contention, and the writer from Hebrews, contention. And so we read, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. So, so the point is a simple one. We want to consider Jesus, fix your thoughts on Jesus. He wants them to know that right from the, from the outset. It's clear, it's direct. Don't get caught up in trying to work out, well, no, but Moses did this stuff. What, is, what has Jesus done? Jesus has done far more, as you will see. Jesus is the apostle par excellence. There is no apostle more important than Jesus. Uh, his apostleship is before all other apostleship. Uh, he is the great high priest, which Hebrews talks about, par excellence. There's no greater high priest than Jesus. And understanding some of that gives you a sense of why Jesus is so important today for all of us. And so how do you fix your thoughts? How do you consider Jesus? How do you spend time on Jesus and give him time? I think uh, the psalmist in Psalm 27 gives us a glimpse of that. He says this in Psalm 27 verse 4, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple, just to be in that space with God. And the Apostle Paul, I think, expresses a similar desire in Philippians 3. I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so people want to reflect on who Christ is, consider him, concentrate on him it's a choice of will and so he pushes it further Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses you can imagine how they must have felt when they heard that just as the builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself I think we'd agree with that whether the opera house your own house you give whether you know there might be an architect here um, Samson architect is not here um, but whether you actually start to think yeah the person who's built the house it's pretty significant Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And it's a huge difference. Uh, you'd understand if you... Has anyone even as a young person had the role of cleaning houses? I've done that. as I've cleaned factories and things like that. You don't actually have the same rights or inheritance as a son or daughter. They can come in and order you around. It's a different role. As faithful as Moses is, as important as he is, Jesus is higher than all that. So consider him. Think about him. Now grab hold too, if you could, of verse 6. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house and we are his house. We are his, we are his house. We are his house. If. Indeed, we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. If we don't hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory, then you'd probably have to take the consideration then that we are not part of God's house. Um, and so that's what we are called to do. Meditate on who Christ is. Meditate on what he has done. Meditate on his importance. Uh, that's why the, uh, the writer considered, and Shane touched on it a few weeks ago, about don't drift. Don't drift. There is danger. Consider Christ's superiority over Moses. Don't drift because of what Jesus has done. Don't drift because it's Jesus, our hope of the future. 
hangs on him. I've stood here on many occasions and conducted many funerals right in this spot. And time and time again, people will choose the passage from John 14. In my father's house are many rooms. Uh, And Jesus has gone there to prepare that. If that's not true, if there is no hope of heaven, if there's no heavenly father, if there's no Christ who's gone to the cross, we have no hope. There is no one preparing a room or a house in that way. And so it matters profoundly. It matters that he's more superior than Moses. He's been found worthy of greater honour than Moses. Just as someone who builds a house. If you have confidence tonight that your sins are forgiven, it's because of what Christ has done. And Julianne's prayer echoes that. The greater and the more glorious, and I can see John Piper saying this, that your hope and confidence in Christ is, the stronger your relationship will become. It is Jesus, God's Son, who is the final word, and will always be the final word. We are thankful for Moses, but he is just a servant in God's house. So consider Christ over Moses. It's important because as we think about, well, you know, what's the summary? Well, just remember, if Christ is the ruler over the house, if Christ is the one who's built the house, and we heard from that last year in Matthew 16, verse 18, that indeed it's Christ who's building his church. That actually means also, therefore, that Jesus must have made Moses. That's how important it is. He's over that. And so we go on. We don't want to forget this. Faithfulness is always a daily choice. It's a daily choice. Faithfulness in marriage, for example, is a daily choice. Faithfulness in relationship is a daily choice. It's not something you think about, I think I'll be faithful to Rhonda this month. I don't think that works relationally speaking. It doesn't work in every area of life and the writer will jump to Psalm 95 in a moment. And faithful people persevere to the end. And Hebrews 12 captures that. You run well, you run the race. So where are you looking for your confidence tonight? Is it in yourself, your studies, high school, physical fitness programs, the next season of Stranger Things? Um, What is it the thing you're really hanging out that's going to help you run well? The writer is saying consider Jesus. Consider Jesus and persevere. Persevere. Uh, Why? He wants Christians to persevere, so he must be concerned that they indeed are drifting. And that's the hardest thing to watch in church life as a pastor. I'm sure Shane and Langdon and others have seen it. To see someone start well, and especially the young ones, and to see them fall away. There's nothing stronger that can break your heart about that. And so he wants us to understand, and he uses Psalm 95 as an example. Uh, So, as the Holy Spirit says... Even as I stop there, the writer, going back to Psalm 95, acknowledges that Psalm 95 was written under divine inspiration of the Spirit of God. So he quotes it. As the Holy Spirit says, Today, there it is again, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. Uh, that must be very frustrating. The old joke was, how many years did it take God to get frustrated? About 40. That is why I was angry with that generation. Can you imagine God saying to you, and I must admit, uh, Matthew, the end of Matthew 7, if you haven't read it recently, it echoes the same truth. Many will say to Christ in that last day, but didn't I do all this in your name? And the worst words in life on that day are to hear, Depart from me, I never knew you. 
Hebrews also talks about it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my way. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. I mean, in other words, they had seen God's gracious works. They'd tasted God's gracious works. They'd seen signs and wonders of mercy. They'd been released from captivity. They'd been freed in a new day. They'd tasted the heavenly gift. And so instead of having their hearts softened, it got worse. They became hard and unbelieving. And so the result was God became angry and cut them off from the promised land. Now the point is this what will happen to us if our hearts become hardened. If we harden our hearts, and how do you know that? You start to grumble, you start to murmur. The story of Israel is an example of church life. Do not treat the grace of God with contempt. Um, We sang about God's grace tonight. It's a wonderful song. I love it. Uh, We've got to get ourselves in that space. Their hearts are always going astray. Don't let your heart wander. Yes, we can say Israel sinned. Yes, we can say they murmured. Yes, they rebelled. But you only have to look at some parts of the Old Testament, Exodus 12, where you see how Israel's journey began so well. Exodus 12, so well. Uh, And after all those uh, plagues that Moses and Pharaoh wrestled with, one after another, And they'd leave Pharaoh's presence. And Exodus 13 tells us their departure was spectacular. You know, there was a cloud that helped them, uh, formed in the sky and led the way. The cloud became a a pillar of fire at night to show them the way. The ill-fated pursuit of Pharaoh, uh, as seen uh, in the Red Sea. And the rest, they'd say, was history. There's music in the air. They're cheering. This is fantastic. And yet that which began so well would end so poorly. And I mean end so poorly, hundreds of thousands would not enter the promised land. Some too would, over the age of 20. And I want to say to you, and this is the warning that comes from this passage, uh, you can start well in the Christian race. You can talk about the exodus, you can talk, I've heard people stand and talk about how they're caught up in, in a drug trade or something else. And then within a month, a year, They go back, it's so heartening, it's so disheartening to see that. And he uses Psalm 95 to warn the readers and the Christian readers, don't don't do that, don't harden your heart. Because once you do that, it gets much harder. And, And the Israelites back again, Exodus 17, they were so concerned, they started to grumble. Is the Lord with us anymore? Has he left us behind? Uh, Numbers 14, you read this in verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I've performed amongst them? He wants us to finish well, to encourage one another, because that's the antidote to a hard heart, encouragement. Do not harden your heart. It has been said that the brother and sister um, of a hard heart is negativity, and grumbling and negativity and grumbling lead to disobedience and uh, I don't know how many of you have been experienced in the world of negativity but it's really tough I wonder how many of you would love to be encouraged more. anyone here would love to be encouraged more put your hand up go on, just just be honest there uh, I found it too hard to watch the little boy who suffered from dwarfism I found it was too hard to watch the video about how he was bullied 
There's been an outpouring of the support and things like that. Um, and I think to myself, wow. I long for the day when there'll be no bullying. I long for the day when we treat each other with respect and love and kindness. I know I'm a dreamer. That day I'll have to wait till I shuffle off this mortal coil. But it, it, it's terrible because you think the power of encouragement means that we need each other. It means we can walk together. It means you can pray together. When people have doubts and Christians have doubts, and Christians struggle with doubts. And Christians struggle with the life that God might have set out for them. But to be able to share that with each other is profound. And so he says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. Uh, the old saints often use two phrases. Today, that's what we have now. And then there is the day. And the day refers to the day you stand before the living God. They're the only two days you ever have. Today, you see, tomorrow becomes today when you wake up, in case you're wondering. There's a story of a guy called Robert Fulton. I love this story because uh, he was a, an inventor of the steamboat. I, I like steamboats, Ron and I have gone on some. They're really fun. And it was the first time he was testing it. All these people were gathered up the riverbank and they kept shouting out, it's never going to start, it's never going to start, it's never going to start. Anyhow, guess what? It started. As soon as it started, guess what they started chanting then? It's never going to stop, it's never going to stop, it's never going to stop. People have a way with words that can be so disheartening. Today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, we have come to share in Christ. Indeed, if we hold our, our original conviction firmly to the very end, as it's been said, and again it refers to Psalm 95. Encouraged. You see, to persevere in the Christian life and this race we're in, we need encouragement from each other. And if you don't have that, it becomes a very lonely race. And more than likely, the consequence is you drift. If only Israel back then were able to encourage each other. And when you only need the first seed of a person to say, well... God's left us. He doesn't care. Someone else could have simply said, look, let's remember what he has done. Let's remember how he's brought us out of captivity. Let's remember the miracles. Let's remember the Red Sea. Let's remember the provision of food, the water. Let's remember all that God has done. And if you remember it together collectively, it helps you keep going. It helps you persevere. Um, look how the chapter ends. Who were the who were they who heard and rebelled? Yes, what's the answer? Were they not all Moses led out of Egypt? The ones who tasted freedom. And verse 7, And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? Terrible. And to whom did God swear they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. And the rest they were thinking of was a physical rest in the promised land. Now with Christ, we're thinking of a heavenly rest. If Jesus is greater than Moses and greater than anything else, to reject Christ has a greater consequence. A greater consequence. And if you go down the path of rejecting Christ, uh, the consequence is profound. Separation from God for all eternity. How many of you might even know young people who've started off well on the Christian life, but have started to drift? And if you know them, have you got alongside of them? 
Um, have they been awful to you? Have you found their hearts have hardened? Are you praying for them? Is your heart hardening? Have you started to ask others to pray for you? Uh, and this is the thing we need to hold on to. To hold on to Christ and to consider him. And why is that important? Because we all one day will get to a final lap. Hebrews 12 says this, let us run with perseverance the rates marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You see, the finish line to get there, we all need each other. And I know Rhonda and I now for over 40 years have been running this Christian life and this Christian race. We certainly needed each other. <coughs> Excuse me, for 30 of those years has been in ministry. But I'm sharing with you tonight that uh, in 12 months' time uh, we will finish up because I'm going to retire as a senior minister. Um, and so we've entered our final lap, uh, which is an important thing. I've shared that today and uh, I'm a bit emotionally drunk, to be truthful. But you need to know that because uh, it's an important thing in our life. I advised our Archbishop this week of that. And so we've entered our final lap. Why? It's time to pass the baton on. Uh, to the next leader of our church. Uh, Fig Tree is a blessed place. Uh, in fact, since 1987, you've only had two leaders in this church. It's provided incredible stability, incredible ministry, and it's always going to remain very close to my heart. And I'll tell you why in a minute. Philippians 2 says this, do everything without grumbling or arguing. I encourage you to do that so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And Langdon will touch on this in Hebrews 4 next week. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour in vain in my ministry, that I did all I can, the best I could, to help you see Christ for who he is. I'm going to invite uh, young Peter Jones up. Peter's one of our nominators. Um, and you should know that that means the current five nominators who are uh, locked in now with my announcement. Peter Jones, uh, Wayne James is down the back, uh, Anne Simpson, Simone Boswell and young Tony Oakley will have the onerous task of uh, picking and choosing the next leader. Why is Fig Tree... I've given half my ministry life to Fig Tree... Uh, my daughter's married a fig tree boy in uh, Ben Morris, and so that means I'm connected to the Morris and Ewing family forever, Isaac. Isn't that right? I have two little, uh, I have two little grandchildren who have been born of this church, uh, Matilda and Samuel, and it is my prayer that they continue to grow in faith under the teaching and ministry of fig tree. So while Rhonda and I may not be here in 12 months' time, uh, our family will be, and uh, it'll be... A, uh, a great thrill to see them grow. And I just want to say to you before Pete prays that it's been an honour to lead you guys in all the ups and downs of life and uh, there will be lots of time to say more but I'm so thankful to God for the opportunities he's given me and Rhonda and our family and uh, I know the day will come to say more. But uh, I'll stop now, I've got a little bit of voice left and my dear brother Pete's going to pray. So Ian, 40 <laughs> years you and Rhonda have walked this together. 30 years ago you entered Moore College, 25 years together in ministry and all of that you've walked with Rhonda. So as I pray, I want to ask Rhonda up here as well and to continue your analogy about starting the last lap. <laughs> it's only right that you've run 
all of these laps already together. And as the bell rings to start the last lap, you should be there with your partner in ministry as well. So come on, Rhonda, up here, and I'll pray for you together. Why don't we welcome Rhonda up here too? <coughs> Thanks, mate. So, um, it has been very emotional, all of this. I cannot imagine what your day has been like and also what it is like for Emma. So uh, let's pray for these guys as, uh, as they do start the last lap of what has been a wonderful time together in partnership and a wonderful time serving the Lord. So Heavenly Father, we just pray that as a congregation this year that we can walk with Ian and Rhonda and also with Emma who enters a new life for herself too in, in being a person in a congregation without her dad as the minister. And so um, we just ask, Lord, that you would help us to be generous and gracious to them this year as we have in the past. But this year may be a special time where as we hear that bell ring and the last lap commences that, um, that they would be paying attention to you. And as in a race, the crowd lifts its voice as you too will lift your voice in their hearts. And may they hear you clearly as they... Um, prepare for the year ahead, for Easter that's coming, for the grandparents conference, for the missions conference, for the commitment series, uh, for carols, for Christmas, all of these things still to be done this year under Ian's leadership and guidance with the team. So we just pray with this agenda before them but also as, um, as they look forward to the finish line of this stage of their ministry and enter a new phase that you will lead them into. We thank you for the blessing that they have been for the many legacies that will be talked about for generations to come that have been left here at Fig Tree because of Ian's leadership. Uh, we thank you for the blessing of so much that um, he has led us that's brought our congregation a great reputation in our broader community um, and the wonderful things that we're able to do within um, the calling that you have given to us as a church. So Lord Jesus, be with Rhonda and Ian. May they finish well as they lead us into this next 12 months. And all the people said... Thanks, Thank mate. you so much, Ian. Thank you, Wanda. <laughs>